Welcome to our Sunday morning service. Hi everyone, I hope you're all keeping well during this time of separation. We're really looking forward to meeting together again when we're allowed back in the church. Welcome, Welcome to our Sunday morning service. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture the flock under his care.
Well, good morning. Uh, I'm glad that you are able to join us together for this service, and you are very welcome to join us. Uh, as a church, over the last couple of months, we've been uh, in the letter of Ephesians that Paul the Apostle uh, wrote to the church there. Uh, one of the big themes of this letter is the miraculous work of God in establishing and sustaining his church. Uh, the church is not a building, uh, but a gathering of God's people who come from all different backgrounds to form this one new humanity. And even in these days of lockdown, God is building his church. He's saving people from their sins, and he's bringing them into this great family. Uh, and the family of God has lots of local expressions, like our church in Pelsall. But local expressions of God's family are spread out all over the world and are even at this time being planted, even during this time of pandemic. Well, this week, uh, I interviewed uh, a man called Tom Martin, and he is doing a replant of a church in West Smethwick, which is just 12 miles from our church building. Uh, and a place that is in great need of hearing the gospel. And I'd like us to support this work that he is doing in prayer, and hearing about it will help us to do that. So hi, Tom. Hi, Steve. Nice that you can join us today. I'm glad that we're able to meet um, after, obviously, you couldn't come up uh, last week. So I know who you are, uh, but the people in our church haven't met you before. Uh, so why don't you just begin by introducing yourself uh, and explain where you're from and, and what you're doing at the moment. Uh, thank you very much. So my name is Tom Martin. Um, I'm married to Rachel. Uh, we've got two small girls, Molly and Charlotte. They're, Molly's four, Charlotte's two. Uh, we're, we're down in Bristol. I've been an assistant pastor here at Kensington Baptist Church for the past six years. Um, and we're about to, to move up to, to West Smethwick to, to, to be part of a team, to lead a team that's going to replant West Smethwick Congregational Church. Okay, so um, you're moving to Smethwick. When are you uh, planning to move and, uh, to, to the area? And what, what, what exactly uh, are you going to be part of in terms of the church there? Um, so, so it's... West Smethwick, there's, there's a small congregational church um, that's part of the EFCC, the Evangelical Fellowship of Congregational Churches, uh, that was really struggling. They went to the EFCC for help. They went to a church planting network in called 2020 Birmingham to ask for help. Uh, and through 2020 Birmingham, I, I, I came to, to hear about it. Um, and was interested in in helping to to replant this this small church in West Smethwick, so the the west part of of Smethwick, um, that neighbourhood there. Um, I'm just checking. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll speak in a minute about why why Smethwick, but we're so we're we're going up there soon. Um, we're moving up the end of June, 25th of June. We've we've booked uh, to move up. Uh, I'm on sabbatical at the moment. Kensington Baptist Church have very kindly uh, given me a few months of sabbatical as a kind of intermediary stage to to get ready for the plant uh, and think about those 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 early months, those um, first year or two. Uh, have a bit of rest, time with family, a um, bit of study as well. Um, but yeah, and, and then also move house. So we've been packing and 
getting ready to to move and then hopefully be able to be able to, be able to settle in um once we're once we're up there yeah so uh, sabbatical sounds like a rest but that's a busy time <laughs> uh yeah so you mentioned um uh about why smedic so some people in our church will know uh, no smedic well others um won't know anything about it uh, why are you going to that particular area um explain the needs there um i, I suppose i suppose that there is a church there that asked for help and those those few members are, are keen for the, the gospel work there to continue uh, and to 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 be re-established so that there's a church there that that wants help and, and and seems willing to to change that there are it is going to need to change quite a lot um to yeah for, for 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 it to be able to survive as a church in that area so there's a church they're willing to change uh, it's it's got it's got a partnership in place already with the efcc wanting to to make this happen wanting to make it succeed and then 2020 birmingham this church planting network um that they, they've planted 19 churches i think um in the past 10 or so years so they've got quite a bit of experience in church planting church revitalizations so there'll, there'll be help and support and, and accountability and, and and others doing similar things to to help um so that there's that there's that partnership in place there that there's there's definitely a need in west medic um it's a it's a very diverse place um uh, with, with a large population from a, of an Asian ethnicity, but then also other ethnicities there as well. Um, there are there are lots of there are, there are two or three Sikh temples, mosques, a Hindu temple, um, and and it's it's a place where um, people are, are settled, uh, but may never have heard the gospel. And, and I'm I'm not yeah I, I'm not aware that there are strong evangelical churches that are that are that are doing a good job of of reaching out into that diverse neighborhood in west medic and so i think that there's a there's a real need for for a church that can um proclaim the gospel um to to a to a, to a very spiritually needy place um so i think that that's why west medic my, my wife and i were, were looking to to move on from kensington after six years as an assistant pastor um i'd been in birmingham before as a student and then afterwards so i i, I knew people there uh, and that this one caught our eye uh, and we, we we saw the the need there uh, and we were excited by the by the area um and yeah we're, we're keen to to get up there and um yeah pray a lot and try and gather a team so that so that god might revive a, a, a work there yeah and uh, you've mentioned a few of the challenges and the different um types of uh needs in the area uh, but at the moment especially um uh, churches are unable to meet together so it's a uh, uh, some people might think what a strange time <laughs> to be to be doing this uh replant um what, what are the challenges you're finding in doing this um at the current time um yeah yeah it's, it, it's it's hard to know whether this is this is a this this strange time that we're in is, is a is a good time to, to do this or is it if, or if it makes it harder it's, it's hard to know but it's, it's, it's the time that we're in um and yeah my, my wife and i had already told the church we were leaving we were already planning for this um and 
yeah, I think it, it seemed right that we just continue with our with our plans, even though they, they, they are slightly changed, just I suppose in terms of being a bit delayed, um, that we're trying to sell our house here, so there are delays in selling our house. Um, we, we'll be trying to gather a team together to, to join us to, to try and revitalize the uh, the work there, but but that that will be harder trying to gather a team um, uh, from from Christians in the area, from local churches nearby. When when yeah, that there, there are restrictions on churches meeting at the moment, so that that's that's harder. Um, but 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 who knows? Maybe this is the the, the perfect time to, to replant plant a church because um, of the challenges that people in West Medic will be facing, and they'll they'll be maybe they'll be asking more questions now than they than they were a year ago so maybe this is the perfect time to to come alongside them and get to know people um and yeah ask them questions and and, and pray for opportunities to tell them about jesus our our hope um so i i think there are going, there are going to be huge challenges um it's a diverse area um people who are, who are very different to me um and it's a small, struggling church that we're we're going to. We'll need a, a team alongside us. Um, that, that, so that there are a lot of challenges there. Um, and yeah, if 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 in any way it, it relied on us, then of, of course it would fail. Um, but we trust that that God is sovereign, uh, and that He wants uh, the gospel to be proclaimed in West Medicine. And we pray that He'll He'll, he'll use us. Uh, and our small team to, to to do that. Yeah, and it's a good reminder too that even though as Christians we're in this period of lockdown, uh, God is not locked down in any way, and He's building His church, and will continue to do so. And we can yeah. we can trust Him, can't we? Uh, so, just as a church, we're going to pray for you um, today, but also we want to continue praying for the, the for you and for the church in West Medic. Uh, what specifically can we be praying for? Uh, as a church in Pelsall for the work in West Medic and for you and your family in particular as well. Yeah. Th thank you so much for praying. Um, Steve's emailed me for, 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 for a few months now and, and told me, um, yeah, asked for how things are going and asked for prayer requests. And so thank you so much for, um, for praying for us. We, yeah, we, we really need it. Um, I suppose immediate prayers will be our move and then also that there, there is a couple that uh, will be um, partnering with us be, be joining the team David and Maura Baldwin. Uh, Maura's got a mum who goes to Grace Church Tipton, um, Joanne uh, and then they're, they're moving to be closer to her. Um, they're, they're, they're selling their house and buying up there. We're selling our, our house here, renting up there for a bit before we buy. So I suppose prayer, prayer for the move um, and for those things to, to happen. Um, pray, pray for a team to, to come together. We, we will need more people. Uh, pray for a diverse team that, um, that won't just be people that look a bit like me, um, but people who are, who are, yeah, who are, who are different and who can, um, yeah, um, yeah, a team that can work in West Medic um, because it will, it will look a bit similar to the people of West Manic. So pray for more team. Pray, pray for a, another family with, with small children um, to join the team. That, that would be great. Uh, and for wisdom in how, how we go about um, speaking to people and Christians and local churches about that. Um, 
and and then I suppose pray for our hearts that that we would have faith that that God um, might do um, yeah extraordinary things um, through 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 the gospel, not through any any radical new ministry model or idea, but just through um, His good news of Jesus being shared with people that we get to know, um, that that people might become Christians who currently worship a different God or or think they worship no God at all. Um, we pray that yeah that that we would have faith for that um that we would have begin to have more of a love for the, the local people so that we can get alongside people who who may well be quite different to us so so pray for for our hearts that that of my um me and my my wife rachel then david and maura and that the, the the existing team that are there already those, those few members who will be, be thinking about this this future um and then any any new members who will, who will join that team yeah well that's uh, lots that we can be praying for and uh, we will be doing that now and we can do that ongoing uh, and we'll be in touch uh, no doubt and hear more of how things are going in West Mavic in the days to come uh, but thank you so much uh, for taking the time uh, to talk to us this morning it's, it's great to see you get to know you and hear about God's work in West Mavic. Yeah. Thank you very much Steve thank you very much for yeah to, to all of you uh, and yeah I we hope that we might come and, and see you all face to face and, and, and meet you and get to know you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonder of the church, the new humanity that you have made and are continuing to make. We thank you that your church is being built up all over the world. And we thank you that it is being built right here in the West Midlands. And today we want to pray for this church plant in West Mevic. As with everywhere, there is a need for people to hear the gospel, respond to it, and grow in maturity. And so we pray that this church would prove to be fruitful in reaching that community for Christ and for seeing men and women discipled and built up in the faith. Would you provide the practical support that they need in order to do this work, both in terms of finances and in sending them Christians to help them in their work? We also want to pray this morning for the Martin family, for Tom and Rachel and Molly and Charlotte. We ask that you would give them a real sense of peace and excitement about the move. Help them to trust in you in what is a big move for them from Bristol. We pray that the house would sell and that the move would be smooth. We pray for the right schools for Molly and Charlotte and for them to be able to grow in their faith in Jesus through this new church situation. But most of all, we pray that their ministry as a family and the ministry of the church would result in people from West Mevic coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we ask these things for the glory of your name to the God who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, our next song reminds us that we uh, have a king in Jesus, that no matter where we are in history or in life at all times, is the one to whom we give glory. Jesus is king.
Well, if you turn in your uh, Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, now this morning we're going to look from uh, chapter 4 verse 17 uh, down to chapter 5 and verse 2 as we look at what Jesus, our King, uh, expects of us, how we're to live as his followers. Well, over the course of history, uh, we have seen fashions change. Uh, There are items of clothing that perhaps uh, we might have wore when we were younger, uh, when they might have been in fashion, but now uh, we wouldn't dream of wearing them. And when we see the photos of us in them, are embarrassed that we ever did. Uh, I remember when I was uh, a teenager wearing really baggy jeans and Hawaiian shirts, and I thought I looked really great. But now I wouldn't be seen dead in those things. Now, I wonder if you can recognize uh, some of the fashions on the picture uh, to my left. Uh, Perhaps you might have worn some of those things when you were younger. They are definitely no longer in fashion. Uh, Clothing that is out of fashion and no longer suits us is an illustration that Paul the Apostle uses in our passage this morning. Uh, He talks about our life before we were Christians as an old set of clothes that we want to throw away. Uh, Last week, in chapter 4 and verse 1, we heard this call to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Uh, Paul spoke last week of what that looks like in terms of maintaining the unity of the church and increasing in maturity as a church. Unity and maturity. And this theme of living a life worthy is continued in chapter 4, verse 17 to chapter 5 and verse 2. Here, Paul describes living a life worthy of the calling you have received as putting on new clothes. As we read Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 to chapter 5 verse 2, notice, if you will, the references to putting off or put off and putting on, put on. Let's read these verses together. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in in, in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, 
that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is God's word. Hopefully, you noticed in verses 22, 24, and 25, the phrases put off and put on. As Christians, our new life in Christ is like a new set of clothes. We have a new set of clothes now, and so Paul tells us, no longer wear your old clothes. Verse 17 begins with, so I tell you this meaning he is going to continue applying what it means to live a life worthy of our calling. He insists on it, he says, in the Lord, which means that what he is about to say is God's word coming from God's apostle. Paul has authority in what he says, and we must listen to this. He's not just making it up. And this is important because using the fashion illustration... We don't like to be told what to wear because we think that we know uh, what is best. Now, think of the auditions on The X Factor where someone is, uh, has an awful voice, but no one has told them. And so they turn up on the show and they sing and sound terrible. Well, Paul is like the judges who know what sounds and looks right telling us. And he is doing so as someone who knows what they are talking about because he has an authority that comes from God. So we need to listen to what Paul says here, even if it makes us a little uncomfortable. So what has Paul got to say? Well, he tells us you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, he's not saying here that we need to be Jewish using the contrast we saw in the beginning of chapter 2. Rather, Paul is saying, do not live like the Gentile culture around you that does not follow Jesus. You used to be like this, but that is your old clothes. Don't wear them anymore. Paul then goes on to describe what the Gentile fashion is. And it, we, we, we're going to see it's a spiral of depravity. This is a horrendous description of a Christless society. It describes a typical society without Jesus, and it fits all of us outside of Christ to various degrees. It begins with the mind, and it ends with behavior. In other words, how we think leads to how we live. How we think leads to how we live. Paul says at the end of verse 17 that the Gentiles live 
in the futility of their thinking. Thinking here means people's worldviews, consciences, affections, their entire outlook on life. And it is described here as futile. Futility means emptiness or pointlessness. It means that it lacks direction. There is no end goal to the way that they think. Or if there's a goal, even a noble goal, like making the world a better place, it eventually dies and it is eventually going to be found empty. Because this world is headed for destruction. That's not to say that we shouldn't make the world a better place. But really, we need to point people to a better world as well. It also means that their thinking is meaningless, or that is pointless. Now, this is a world uh, that is just taken up with mindless entertainment. And there's no time or inclination to think about the deeper things in life, like, why am I here? What's the point? Where am I going after death? And even if they do think, they do not think of God in Christ. So why do they think in this futile way? Well, verse 18 tells us that they are darkened in their understanding. Uh, some of us recently went to Portsmouth uh, to run a holiday club in uh, a like-minded church there. And from Portsmouth, you can see the Isle of Wight. But if a fog descended, which it can do, and blocks the view, and you had no idea of the geography of the area, you would either not think that the Isle of Wight was even there, not even know there is this isle there, or you may not even believe someone if they told you that there is this island called the Isle of Wight just over there. The Christless life is one where a thick fog has descended, blocking the view of God. And as a result, they either do not understand he's there, misunderstand him, or don't believe in him even when they are told. They don't understand God or their need of God. There is an absence of spiritual understanding. And so the Christian worldview, those of us who are saying there is a God, and this God is Jesus, that worldview is mocked and maligned. And the tragedy is that this darkened understanding, Paul says, leads them being separated from the life of God, which is the only life that is not, in the end, futile. Because it's the only life, in the end, that lasts forever and is our greatest need and it is our greatest hope. As Christians who have had the fog lifted, we may wonder, well, why, people, why can't people see Jesus clearly? Surely they can see who he is. But the reason that they can't is given at the end of verse 18. They are, it says, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They don't understand because their hearts are hardened. This means that they are immovable. They can't be persuaded. We would say that they have a heart of stone. They are unwilling to be moved by God's truth. It is like us explaining clearly that the Isle of Wight is just over there. We've been there. We've seen it. Or 
We've got this map that someone has, who has been there has recorded to show that it is real. But no matter how much you try to show them the map or tell them your experience, they are unmoved because their hearts are hardened. And a heart that is hardened against God and is without Christ leads to behavior that shows that it is without Christ. Our outward life, the way that we live, reflects what is going in in our hearts, reflects how we think. And a society without Christ, that is without understanding of God, lives in a godless way. Notice this in verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. The more you go on in a particular vice, the more you lose sensitivity to it. In order to satisfy, you need a bigger hit or a fix. Now, for example, studies have shown this to be true with pornography. In order to get the same response that you're looking for, you have to go deeper and darker because you become desensitized. Now, think about swearing as another example. If you swear all the time and it goes on around you all the time, you don't notice it so much. It doesn't bother you so much. You become desensitized. And as a society, this has happened on a big scale. Paul describes it as being given over to sensuality. So, whatever makes me feel good. And those things are described here as impure or impurity, which I think refers to sexual sins mainly, but is summed up well as full of greed. Greed is a, a good description because greed is always wanting more. And because sin never satisfies, we always want more and more of it, and so it becomes worse and worse. Now, you may be thinking this morning, reading this, and hearing what I'm saying, I don't believe our society is that bad. Isn't it a bit harsh? I don't think so. Just look, for example, at what we are entertained by. Isn't so much of what society is entertained by on uh, television or the streaming services just depraved? We, we lap up adultery, deception, murder, impurity. For example, there have been lots of good works going on during this pandemic season, but at the same time, as those good works, we've had adverts from the government on how to spot fraud as cases have increased massively with people trying to take money from scared, vulnerable, and elderly people who are shut indoors. Look at the abuse of MPs, especially women, who have been afflicted with abuse on social media, telling them how they're going to be raped and so on. We've seen greed for money with bankers' bonuses causing outrage among those who probably, if they were honest, would accept the money if the shoe was on the other foot. And we have to have adverts on the television explaining to ignorant and desensitized people what consent means. And we could go on. Now you may be thinking, yes, 
but that's not me. But all of us have played a part in this to a greater or lesser degree because all of us have or have had darkened understanding and hard hearts. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes, uh, says Paul is describing here the pagan life as a whole. And although in your spirit of fear, you may be merely paddling on the edge of this ocean, do not forget that you are in the ocean and paddling in the same sea that the others are swimming and sinking in. On the outside, we may be putting on a good show. But if we look closely at what's going on inside of our hearts, it's a lot messier than we'd like to admit. And if we don't see that, and we think that the problems with society are all due to other people, other people are this bad, but not me, then that perhaps is just a sign of your darkened understanding and ignorance. And you need God to clear the fog. This is why the previous sections of this letter that talk about the amazing grace of God who has enlightened us, another uh, way of saying he's lifted the fog so we can see clearly, are so wonderful. As Christians, we are people who are not just better than this society that we are reading about, but are people who have had the fog lifted by God, have seen him for who he is, and have been saved by amazing grace that we've we've trusted in Jesus, we've been forgiven of our sins, and we've been given a new life. And so Paul tells us that as Christians, not to live in that old way any longer. Because we have a new life, because we are enlightened by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Paul goes on to say, the old clothes don't suit you. Notice the contrast in verse 20. That, however is not the way of life you learned. Literally, Paul says, this is not the way that you learned Christ. So now, we think differently. Not in futility, but Christianly. Remember that the problem with the Gentiles began with their thinking, which impacted their living. As Christians, our thinking has changed. Notice words in verse 20 to 21 that relate to mind change or thinking. Words like learned, heard, taught. And what our minds are changed with is described at the end of verse 21 as the truth that is in Jesus. So our futile thinking is changed by the truth about or truth that is in Jesus. This is the truth about who he is, that he's God in the flesh. This is the truth about what he has done that he has died for our sins and has risen from the dead. This is the truth about what this means, that we are forgiven of our sins, have a new life directed by the Spirit of God who is living in us. And this new life is found in the Scriptures and is described here in terms of getting dressed. Put off, put on. Because of this complete change, this rebirth as a new creation of Christ, the old clothes that the Gentiles wear don't suit us anymore. And so Paul tells us what to do with these unsuitable clothes. In verse 22, we're told, put off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Our old self, our old life, is what is described in verses 17 to 19. We're told to put that off. Now, we might find this difficult. The old life, in fact, you won't, it's not a might, you will find this difficult to put off. And there's two reasons why the old self is hard to put off. First of all, old clothes can be comfortable. Uh, some, uh, some of you may know that I, I stopped growing when I was 12 years old. And I still have clothes that I wear that I had when I was 12 years old. Why have I kept them? Because they are comfortable. Now, I think they also still look good. They still suit me. They're not holy or smelly or uh, it's not a shell suit or something like that. It doesn't look bad. But the old self here, as comfortable as we may be in it, doesn't suit you anymore. Throw it out. It looks awful on you. But the second reason that it is hard to put off the old self is because as much as it doesn't suit us as Christians, those clothes are fashionable in the world around us. We fit in better when we wear the Gentile outfit. Being a Christian is like turning up at school in a different uniform to everyone else. It isn't easy to do that. You look strange. People will laugh at you. But there is a motivation to put off the old clothes, however comfortable they may be, and however fashionable they may be to the world around us. And the motivation is there uh, at the end of uh, verse 22. It is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You might think the old self looks good, but it's being corrupted. So it's getting worse and worse, or it looks uglier and uglier by its deceitful desires. Uh, deceitful desires are desires that we think will fit us, but they don't. Many of us have clothes like that in our wardrobes, don't we? Uh, I may fit into that one day, so I'll keep it. And we deceive ourselves because that's never going to fit. Our old self will never, ever fit us. In fact, it suits us less and less. What we need is a change in our mindset. We see that in verse 23. We need to be made new in the attitude of your minds. We need to look and think about, change our attitude towards what that old garment is really like. We need to be telling ourselves from the scriptures that that old garment is ugly. It's not worthy to be worn by our follower of Jesus. It is like wearing a shoddy, smelly, dirty item of clothing that doesn't fit you. We need to tell ourselves this. But we also, as well as saying, uh, telling ourselves how awful that old garment is, we need to tell ourselves and change our attitude towards the new garment, which is described in verse 24. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice how this new garment is tailor-made. It's, it's created for us. This reminds us of Adam and Eve in creation, where they were made in the image of God. They were made, like in this verse, 
to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And when we are born again as Christians, we are being recreated for this same purpose. And with that kind of understanding that the old garment is ugly and awful and we need to put it off, and the new garment is tailor-made for us to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, Paul goes on to encourage us from verse 25 onwards to get dressed. In verse 25, we have the word, therefore, which means because of what I've just said, and then Paul goes on to explain what these new tailor-made clothes look like. Uh, from verse 25 to the end of chapter 4, we see five instructions that we could look at as items of clothing to put off and new ones to put on. Five times we see something to put off, something to put on in its place, and then a, a motivation for doing so. So put off, put on, motivation. And all of these instructions relate to living together as Christians. And so they could be described as a kind of uniform for us to wear. And the first aspect of getting dressed is put off lying and speak truth. Uh, uh, the word uh, there for lying is, is falsehood. And falsehood basically is all kinds of lying. Now this might be blatant untruth, but it may be not being honest in our taxes or in uh, claiming benefits or something like that. Or it may be uh, exaggerating uh, how great we are to one another. This happens in church life. Uh, we want to look good in front of each other. We want people to like us. And so we either make ourselves look better or we hide things so as not to potentially offend or more often than not, not to look bad. But Paul says, instead of lying, speak truthfully to one another. The motivation is, for we are all members of one body. A body is an illustration of all the different parts working together in this. This cannot happen. We cannot work together in a culture of dishonesty. Uh, secondly, put off unrighteous anger and pursue reconciliation. Uh, verse 26 is often used to try and justify ways to be angry. But the point of the verse is not to grant permission to be angry. Rather, the focus Rather than focusing on righteous anger, Paul is focusing on the unrighteous anger, which is what most anger is. If we focus on which anger is right and which anger is wrong, then as, as one writer helpfully says, there will be a subtle temptation to regard my anger as righteous indignation and other people's anger as sheer bad temper. Paul is saying anger will occur in the church, but don't sin by indulging it. Rather, he says, do not let the sun go down while you are angry. The point being, deal with the situation quickly. doesn't mean you can be angry a little bit longer in the summer than you are in the winter, but rather deal with the situation quickly. Just like Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew chapter 5, he talks about uh, when you are angry, 
uh, you're not reconciled with your brother, go straight away and be reconciled. Don't let anger fester and become more embittered. Sort the problem out. And the motivation here is do not give the devil a foothold. Anger gives the devil a foothold because it leads to other sins and can, unchecked, cause havoc in the church. Uh, Thirdly, put off stealing and work to give. Now, stealing would have been how some people in the church in Ephesus would have supported themselves in the past. Stealing is common today. Sometimes uh, this is taking something physically, but again, it might be not being honest in uh, how we are with taxes or in benefit claiming. Uh, It might be shirking from work when you should be working and you're being paid for it. But instead of stealing, we are called to work, doing something useful. That is, earn your money honestly. But the motivation for the Christian to work is in order that they can give. A Christian doesn't work just to climb the career ladder or just to accumulate as much as they can for themselves. A Christian doesn't work to live, but a Christian rather works to give. And this is important because it gives us value when we are able to play our part rather than just being takers, and it heeds the call that all Christians have to be generous, regardless of income. Paul doesn't mention any amounts of money here, or how much of what you earn as you work you're supposed to give. He just says that we have something to share with the needy. And that's a wonderful witness to our world, isn't it? When Christians are generous, that they work in order to share with the needy. Fourthly, we are to put off evil talk and use your words for good. Unwholesome talk, in verse 29, covers a multitude of what comes out of our mouths. It is basically talk that doesn't help. It tears down rather than builds up. This includes obscene language, swearing or rude jokes, abusive language, gossip, talking about people behind their backs in demeaning ways, mocking people, discouraging them. This kind of thing can easily creep into our lives as a church. Instead, use your words for good. Rather, Paul says, speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Think before you speak. Ask if what you are saying is building up and beneficial. Notice that it is also according to their needs. This means speaking a word in season. But it's also recognizing that what is helpful to one person might not be for someone else. I think our banter uh, is put into this category. Uh, Sometimes banter is not unwholesome or unhelpful. Uh, For some people, it is a fine thing. But for others, it can be taken totally the wrong way. We have to be careful at how we speak. May it be to the benefit of those who listen. And the motivation here is in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The verse speaks of God being grieved or saddened. 
This kind of behavior doesn't please God. Now, there is an element that the Holy Spirit is grieved by all of these sins, both before verse 30 and after verse 30. But I think it is here because how we talk reflects our hearts, and our hearts is where the Holy Spirit dwells or seals us. Uh, In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, Jesus said, from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if the Holy Spirit is in our hearts and what is coming out of our mouths is unwholesome, it does not reflect Jesus well. And reflecting Jesus is what the Holy Spirit's work in us is all about. And so it grieves him when we behave like this and speak in this way because it misrepresents Jesus. And then finally... Put off malice and imitate God's kindness. In verse 31, we see a whole series of unpleasant attitudes. Uh, Bitterness means being resentful, uh, holding a grudge, cynical, negative. One commentator describes it as having a a sour spirit. Rage and anger means a quick temper. Brawling means being argumentative. Slander is gossiping or speaking untruth about another person. Every form of malice is a a summary of of hateful attitudes towards others. That's when we want them to fail, when we rejoice in their sin. This is all forms of unkindness. And all of this can easily creep into our lives. And again, as we live together as a church... These sins destroy fellowships of God's people. Instead, we are in verse 32 to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And the motivation is the fact that Jesus forgave us. How can we be full of malice towards others when God has lavished so much kindness upon us? You can see, I hope, how unfitting that is. It doesn't suit the Christian, does it? Well, chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, summarize the clothing that we are to get dressed in. We are to follow God's example. Jesus was clothed in these garments always, and he looked beautiful. He was always truthful. He was never angry unrighteously, but pursued reconciliation with sinners like us. He did God's work faithfully, working to to benefit us in our greatest of needs, that of eternal life. He only ever spoke words that built up, and he showed kindness and compassion wherever he went. And as God's children, we need to be both like Jesus, our brother, and like our Father in heaven. We are to dress like them. Now, if in any other sermon I told you that you must have your father's dress sense, you would rightly object. But you know what I mean when I say that we need to dress like our father, that is, our father in heaven. This kind of life uh, is described here as a life of love, like Jesus lived. We are children of our Father. As we dress like him, we look like him, we act like him. 
a life of love. And Jesus lived this life offering himself as a sacrifice to his father. The the fragrant offering talked about in uh, chapter 5 there, it means it was a pleasing sacrifice. We want our father to be pleased with us. And so with that desire, let us get dressed in the clothes that are tailor-made for us and which please our Father in heaven. These are clothes that are different from all the other kind of garments in the world. They fit better with age. They never wear out. They literally last forever. Well, our final song this morning is a call to put on these new clothes. We're going to sing together, hear the call of the kingdom.
So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Amen.